Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, uh, 1 Corinthians is, shall I say, a strange letter. I think that's a sufficiently descriptive word. Because strange can mean a lot of things, and 1 Corinthians is a lot of things. It's really strange compared to the rest of Paul's letters uh, for lots of reasons. One is that 1 Corinthians is a letter that we often associate with, with some of Paul's most beautiful words about the power and the role and the nature of love, right? You've heard that? You might remember some of those words. Love is patient, love is kind, and on and on and on. Um, 1 Corinthians gives us Paul's uh, understanding and retelling of the Last Supper. Jesus is establishing um, communion as a central ritual in the church, something that we now call a a sacrament. Um, We have Paul's words about the power of the resurrection that really underlie all of his faith. Paul says Jesus' resurrection and our hope of resurrection is the central Uh, It's the cornerstone of our faith. I also happen to think that Paul's language about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 is some of the most important, some of the most powerful words in the whole Bible. Um, So just go read it when you get a chance. 1 Corinthians gives us language that that we use that we might not know where it comes from about people who are are weak or strong in the faith. Um, language about not being a stumbling block to others, not, not getting in the way of others as they seek to follow Jesus. Um, it gives us the language about members of the body, you know, that we need hands and feet and eyes and ears and all the other parts. No one is more important than the other. One can't say to the other, go away, we don't need you. All are necessary. It gives us this language we heard about spiritual gifts and, and so much more. And all of this was written because Paul got reports that this church was, shall we say, messed up. Read it in its entirety, and you'll see how messed up this church was. That's the the nicest way I can say it. These people had problems. They were completely and totally dysfunctional. If you weren't aware of that, just read 1 Corinthians, and you will find out the extent of their dysfunction. Um, The reason Paul knew this is Paul had had traveled to Corinth, which was a major port city in in Greece, and he lived there for about a year and a half. He met people, talked to people, worked with people, and eventually formed a church, brought them all together, and created this church. And then, after they were sufficiently able to care for themselves, or so he thought, he went off to start a new church. And after a little while, he started to get reports from other people, Paul, this church is a little messed up. You might want to, you know, come on by sometime and help them. So he wrote a letter. This is one of the letters he wrote to them. He discussed all of the issues that they had, and and, and the way Paul did it, he said, this is what I've heard. This is what you're doing. He responded with the gospel, not just like Jesus said this, but his understanding of the gospel was, how should you structure your life so that God is guiding you every moment. How do you use our understanding of God's grace to be the thing that underpins your whole life? That's Paul's understanding of the gospel. Jesus died and rose from the dead for you so that you 
would be free from sin and death, so you should maybe live like it. That's Paul's understanding of the gospel. Wow, I just summarized this whole sermon series in one sentence. I should have thought of that. Um, I really could talk about this, this whole thing for a long time, and I, actually, I usually don't go back and rewrite my sermons, but this is one that I had to rewrite a bunch because I got off on this tangent. It's really important, but it's not quite the focus of our sermon today. But I will say that, that the reason it's important to know is that all Paul wants to do for these people is help them see their, themselves and see their lives through the lens of God's grace. They, they needed wisdom in the midst of their chaos, and Paul tried to offer that. We think they might have listened, at least to some extent. Not everyone, but some of the people listened, because when you read 2 Corinthians, which was probably a, a compilation of some other letters Paul wrote, it seems like at least some of the people Paul wrote to got the point. So all of this comes down to one theme. All of their problems come down to, to one thing, is that this church, the church in Corinth, saw themselves more as individuals than as part of the body of Christ. Their, their uniqueness as one person was more important to them than their collective identity as followers of Jesus. They, they didn't understand the way they had been unified through God's grace that's been revealed to us in Jesus and, and that Paul says is continually given to us through the Holy Spirit. So Paul tried to remind them of their responsibility for each other you know, that one commandment, love one another, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul talks about all of the law can be summarized in one thing, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul tried to help them understand that, that through Jesus, they have an opportunity to do that, to structure their lives so that God's grace, God's love is the first thing they share and not some afterthought. So, this all begs the question, if Paul was writing to this really messed up group of people, trying to set them on the right path, why do people love this letter so much? I mean, the Jeopardy theme to play. Well, the easy answer is because we're also really screwed up, and we're drawn to it because Paul's giving us answers that maybe we need to hear. We don't, uh, we don't always see these answers in the way we ought to. We, we make mistakes. We know this, we sin, we fail to live into the reality of God's grace. And so part of that is when we turn to this letter to see the beauty of the gospel, we see it in pieces. Paul's words on love, for instance, that you're most likely to hear at a wedding, even though you read it, it doesn't belong at a wedding because Paul's saying, this is what love is and y'all don't do it. So maybe you should pay attention. Paul, all of his words as profound, as impactful, as beautiful as they are, are there because we don't get it right. Paul talks in, in, in this letter about the scandal of the gospel, about that Jesus dying for people who are sinners is just really a ridiculous idea. But it's the only way that it can work. Because if you deserved it, you wouldn't need it. And since it happened, and you don't deserve it, by the power of God's grace, it works. That's a whole bunch about 1 Corinthians and it's like 15 different sermons all right there. When, we, when it comes down to it, and when we pay attention to parts of this letter, especially the, the two parts that, that Danielle read for us this morning, um, these point out how we really do miss the point when we read this letter. We miss how Paul dealt with this church in, in really a rather harsh way. 
as he pointed out, their sin and their hypocrisy and all of their excuses. In this letter, we witness Paul turning around their actions and their words back against them to say, you said this, you've done this, you messed up. Let's try again. He took, he took all of the conflict that they had, all of their divisions, all of their jockeying for, for power and control in their little church community, and he said, that's not what it's all about. That's not what the gospel is for. Paul starts out, you know, in, in chapter 3, we heard, Paul comes right out and says, I wish I could talk to you like adults, but you're not adults. You're mere infants in Christ. I wish I could give you solid food that is like the bulk of the gospel, but I have to feed you with milk because you can't take the good stuff yet. You don't understand it, and you wouldn't accept it. They don't understand any about their faith, even though, you read through, they claim to be the best examples there are of what it means to be a Christian. Look at me. Look at how wonderful I am while they're doing some pretty unacceptable things. Like, you know, just read through. The man who is sleeping with his mother-in-law and they think is perfectly acceptable. That's a little strange. There's other things like that going on in this church. They decide communion is a time to get drunk instead of a occasion to come into contact with God's grace, to remember Jesus' sacrifice. No, it's a party. Let's get drunk. And let's not save any for people who aren't with us. They're a weird group of folks. But all of their problems are, are really centered around this one idea that how they heard the gospel, they said they believed it, and then they did the opposite, all while claiming to be good Christians. They took Paul's words and they, they used them for their own purposes, ignoring the responsibility that Paul was trying to, to instill in them for one another, ignoring their unity in Christ through all of these gifts the Holy Spirit gives us. Bottom line, the problem was that they did what they wanted instead of what God wanted. Which brings us back to that part in chapter 3 that Danielle read, where we uh, hear Paul write one of the most important things the Bible says about our common life, our ministry together. For when one, one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. Apollos watered, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose. We are God's servants. These words that Paul wrote offer us this, this huge reminder about who, ultim who is ultimately behind all of our various responses to the gospel. While we might be working in some way to further the kingdom, we might be serving others daily, we might be turning, uh, turning our lives over to Jesus, we might be offering the word of God's grace, we might be caring for others in times of need. Whatever way we have to serve, Paul says, actually, that's not you. It's God working through you. God is empowering you by the gifts the Holy Spirit has given. So when we try to take that credit for ourselves, or when we align ourselves to others claiming to follow them and their teachings, that's what was going on in this church, when we claim to, to follow those people and their ways of, of understanding the scriptures or their desires for how we ought to live, 
what Paul says you're doing is you're aligning yourself with that group and against Christ, even when those people claim to be followers of Jesus or to have some inside scoop into what God wants. When you focus on the person who is leading, well, you're following that person and not Jesus. So Paul says, pay attention because I, Paul, and Apollos, and he also mentions Peter, all of these people came to teach you and to point you toward Jesus, but you decide to follow them instead of Jesus. You miss the point of grace freely given. You forget to look at the intentions that others have, good or bad. Paul and Apollos and, and Peter came to lead them to Jesus, and people forget that that was the goal. Or there are others in the community who they decided to follow who didn't want to lead them to Jesus, but to their own little world where they were the center of attention. So Paul says that, that when we claim to have this special identity, when we claim to have a monopoly on God's truth, when we claim to know exactly what other people should be doing, they should be more like us, we miss the point. We're rejecting the gospel is what Paul says. Now, maybe I should note, I'm not saying y'all are doing this, okay? Let's like, in case you're anxious about it, I'm not preaching to you. I'm just saying this is what Paul was dealing with. And it goes on today. It, you, you look in the world around us and we see it all the time. Christians are particularly bad about it. We, uh, we don't deal with the idea of unity that Paul presents in quite the same way. Paul brings everything back to unity, unity in Christ, unity in the Holy Spirit, unity through God's grace. We are the body of Christ, many members. We are given spiritual gifts, each according to their purpose. But for, for Paul, unity wasn't being the same. It wasn't being identical. It wasn't being without difference. It wasn't living without difficulty or arguments or various opinions. For Paul, unity was being one, one in Christ, one through the Holy Spirit, Jesus who died for all, the Holy Spirit who gives gifts to all. But somewhere on the line, along the line, this church messed up just like most Christians. We get off track. Maybe we don't get off track as much as that church did, but in our own little way, we all get off track. We live in a world where Christians are more likely to shout in anger at people than to actually offer God's love. We live in a world where Christians, well, here's one that gets me, say, I'll pray for you, and then don't actually, you know, offer a prayer, let alone convicting myself here. Like, oh, I'll pray for you. Actually, how about let's stop and pray right now? We act like we have good intentions when really we are just going to do what we want anyway. And so we look for an excuse to do that. That's because we're human, not because we're Christians, because we're human. And humans are sort of messed up, broken, sinful people. And Paul says, if you're a human, maybe you should realize that you're a messed up, broken, sinful person. And then realize that you don't have to be. So we have, we have created this mess that we are in as, as humans and as Christians that, that as we decide to follow our own desires rather than what God wants from us, as we realize that we want to be the center of attention, that we want to to fulfill our needs rather than God's is we want other people to be just like us. We've created a world where people think, well, I don't need that. I've got enough of that going on in my life. 
So now we find ourselves in a world where people think the church and faith are rather irrelevant. I don't need that. I don't need someone telling me what to do because I get enough of that. I don't need someone telling me what to do because they're not doing what they tell me to do. People look at the way Christians treat each other and think, I don't want any of that. Again, I'm not saying you do this. You might be guilty of this in some way in your life in some form. That's between you and God. You can tell me if you want because, you know, confession is a good spiritual discipline, but I don't need to know. But it's important to recognize that when we, when we don't show the world the depth of God's love, how are they going to find out about it? So people decide they don't need it because what they see isn't very good. So we have to find a way to pull ourselves out of that little mess that we You might really be wondering, what does this have to do with the stuff that Danielle read? Well, it's because that's what was going on in Corinth. This church was so messed up, Paul said, you're harming the gospel. Your lives are so messed up that people think, I don't need to be a part of that. If that's what people who follow Jesus do, I'm going to walk the other way. So Paul says, instead of Instead of living like we are the center of everything and the most important person, because that's how that church lived, maybe realize that we share some things in common. God's grace. Jesus dying for us all. The Holy Spirit coming to encourage and guide and lead us to give us these gifts that we need. That's why Paul talked about spiritual gifts, members of the body, to say, the Spirit is dwelling in you and is helping you giving you a task, giving you a purpose. Everyone gets something a little bit different because everyone is different and God can work through you in just the way that God needs to. Everyone has a role. Every role is different, but everyone is necessary. No one gift, no one person, no one task from God is better than the others. Because the eyes need the ears, that needs the nose, that needs the feet, that needs the hands. For all of the problems that that Christians face within our communities of faith, you know, going all the way back to the church in Corinth to today, most of those problems are our own making. And for all of those problems that we face, Paul wanted us to understand that those things only get in the way if we let them. If we instead focus on Jesus, on his life, his death, his resurrection, if we focus on the gifts that that God has given us, the the fruit of the Spirit that God works through our lives, the way we've been each called for a purpose, then we stand a chance of recognizing that we truly are one, one in Christ, one in the Holy Spirit. Many members, one body. Many gifts, many purposes, but one giver of the gifts. Many ways to serve and share and offer the gospel through our lives, but one Lord. Paul really wanted this church to understand that faith is not something for which you can keep score. There's no tally marks next to your faith. You either have it or you don't. You practice it or you don't. You don't need to keep track because everyone knows. God knows. You don't, we don't keep score about faith because what faith is is an acknowledgement that we know our need for Jesus and that we desire to let God change us, to change us from being messed up, broken, sinful people into a little bit less messed up, a little less broken, not at all bound by our sin because that's been taken away from us, free to not be held by that guilt, by that shame, free to realize I'm not on my own. 
that God sent Jesus into this world to, to die our death so that we might live. That God sent the Holy Spirit into this world to, to guide us and encourage us and move us forward in faith, to give us the gifts, the tools we need to be God's people. And that God has sent others, just like you, to be with us all, to support us and guide us and encourage us and, and to be one with us. Each different, each unique, each necessary. Each one, one member of Christ's body. One through the Holy Spirit. Amen.